Hello, Husker fans, and welcome to College Football Throwdown, episode 43. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined in the flesh by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans. That's right, and we also have a special guest with us today here in beautiful Traverse City, Michigan, on this Monday morning. That would be Memorial my... Day morning. That's right, my uncle and dad's brother, uh, AJ. Hello, Husker Nation. That's right. Uh, longtime listeners of the show may remember that AJ has commented on uh, some of our uh, past shows. We've read his comments before. So uh, this is the first time we've actually had him on the show as we're having a family reunion here in Traverse City. So we've had some people coming into town and we thought this was a perfect opportunity to get his opinion, his unique take on our favorite Cornhuskers. Uh, but before we d- dive into AJ's kind of history with... Uh, the Huskers and his opinion on the current team. We're going to dive into some more national topics and things that are just going on with the team right now. That's right. Okay. So yeah, uh, you know, a couple of cool things have been happening in uh, Husker land is uh, uh, of course uh, being uh, springtime, uh, it's baseball season and uh, the Husker baseball team has uh, done well on the field and actually brought home uh, one of the first men's uh, championships, at least in one of the major sports. I know we've won some, track and, and other uh, sports, but uh, in this particular case, we won the, the baseball regular season. And uh, in fact, today is the day where they select teams for the NCAA tournament bracket. We're expected to be included in that, uh, although uh, because we didn't win the tournament uh, championship this year, uh, I suspect we'll be either a thir- three or four seed and may witness a pretty quick exit to the tournament. But it's a team that has kind of taken that next step for Coach Erstad, and that's pretty exciting to to see that happen. Uh, also, um, um, when we look at what's going on, this is kind of what I often refer to as the typical summer swoon that happens for every college football team, where uh, the team is likely to encounter some bumps along the road over the course of a summer. Uh, and this isn't unique to Nebraska, but really unique uh, or, or typical of every uh, college football team that exists uh, out there, that there's going to be a few kids that that I uh, refer to as just the, as self-deleting in one way or another. Uh, they're going to um, uh, encounter some kind of a physical event like uh, an accident uh, that's going to break a leg while skiing or, or water skiing or something like that, or uh, something uh, that has to do with uh, getting in a little bit of trouble uh, and, and getting themselves suspended, that sort of thing. And no one's immune to that, including you know whether it's a top academic school, a faith-based school, or a typical uh, public university like Nebraska. And so we've already encountered our first event of that nature with uh, Stanley Morgan and Antonio Reed uh, encountering a little problem with the law. Um, uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches uh, and the administration of the athletic department handle that. I suspect that if it's a first offense, uh, we won't see much of a uh, of an event other than a, maybe a one or two game suspension. Uh, if it's um, you know multiple endeavor, then quite possibly we could see a, a much more substantial penalty. And I'm not sure we'll hear a whole heck of a lot about that until later this summer. Right. Uh, well, the even if it is just a two game suspension, like for Stanley Morgan, that could still affect us because Oregon is our second game of the year. Absolutely. Well, and and uh, and. and um, that's true because, um, you know, Stanley's in a position, the wide receivers that lost a ton of experience and talent last year, and Stanley's our anchor to that team. So so uh, that's going to be a big deal mm-hmm. if he's gone for an extended period of time. So uh, with that, uh, why don't we uh, do a little introduction here of our, our guest uh, 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 to the program. This is, uh, uh, <clears throat> to my left is my, my, my uh, brother, uh, A.J., and uh, he is a, a Cornhusker fan from way back, uh, although I think he'll describe a little later in the podcast the kind of up-and-down nature of that uh, uh, passion. Um, and um, it's neat, though, to, to experience that and, and kind of reflect back on having come from a, a large family. He and I are, are uh, two brothers of, of a total of uh, 13 children, so uh, we had uh, both a lot of brothers and a lot of sisters. And, uh, um, uh, of course, with that large of a group, there's a lot of variance in uh, opinions. So we have brothers who are <laughs> not fans of Nebraska, and we have brothers who are avid fans of Nebraska, as well as sisters uh, along the same uh, pendulum. So uh, kind of exciting to be able to get together, and it's it's been uh, neat for me as a as one of the younger kids to uh, 
to be able to experience and, and grow my friendship and relationship with my brother uh, through this common interest in, in uh, Nebraska football specifically. So with, uh, without saying any more, uh, this is an uh, introduction for A.J. Schmitz. A.J., why don't you say a couple of words? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and, and uh, thanks to uh, Pete and, and uh, Alex for having me on. Uh, I always like to talk about uh, Nebraska football, and I spent a lot of time reading the, the bulletin boards and all the articles that are written on Nebraska football on a daily basis. So I try to keep myself current on what's going on, and and I've always been a Husker fan. It just wanes at sometimes, and at times I they're unwatchable, so I can't watch them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Well. Talking about your fandom, you started way back in the 70s in the Bob Devaney era. Yes, I uh, I was fortunate to just be about 10, 11 years old when we won our first national championship. And from the, for those first two years, it was just like the whole state was, was talking about it year-round. And, and that was how I was really made aware of how great Nebraska was. Well, then uh, we went 23 years in between winning another one. And that was a, a difficult time, and it was just it, we had a new coach, and I wasn't real crazy about the way he ran his offense. And, and then all of a sudden, in the 90s, 23 years later, he gets everything in line, and he gets the right defensive coaches, and they win three championships. And that was pretty exciting to, to go through the 90s. That was amazing, and I, you know, it's kind of like what Alabama's going through right now. They're going year after year. They're competitors, and they win championships. It's pretty exciting. I uh, I really enjoy uh, watching them when they play well, but so rarely over the last 17 years have they done that. Uh, I was speaking with Alex the other night, and we were talking about, I was trying to equate how long it's been since we won a championship and how much he remembered from that time, and he's only seen 17 years of you know, mediocrity or less than average football. And I was trying to equate it during the time that, that I was growing up, but it was just a little bit different. He was a little bit younger, and that was a uh, an interesting conversation we had the, at the other night about it. And it's it's I was trying to to get it where maybe you uh, had a different take on what Husker being a Husker fan is compared to what your dad and I do. Right, right. Well, in in your case, like you're saying, even in that 23 year period or however long it was between. The championships where Tom was trying to get his program going, you know, struggling a little at the beginning. But even then, you know, you were getting nine, ten win seasons consistently year after year. You know, you would just trip up with like Oklahoma at the end of the year, which I know was frustrating to uh, fans of your generation. But still being dominant in the Big 12. And Big 8, yeah. Oh, right, Big 8 year after year. Um, Whereas in my time, you know, we've been like, you know... In the run for championship, uh, talking about conference championships, we've been in the run for conference championships pretty consistently in the time I've been watching. You know, and sometimes making it. Although I guess we, I, I don't think we've won one in the time I've really been watching since like the Bill Callahan. Right, since you were old enough to kind of be aware. Right, right. See, so I haven't even had a conference championship, much less a national championship right. in my time. Right. Um, and this kind of dives nicely into one of the topics I wanted to discuss for today. Um, on the Paul Feinbaum radio show on ESPN, uh, they had a guest host uh, to replace Paul, I guess, uh, named Matt Jones. And he had a comment about um, uh, uh, traditional powers that he thought would never rise to the same level of consistent national dominance that they had in the past. And the three teams he said were Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Nebraska. And what he had to say about Nebraska I thought was worth, worth repeating here. He said... Uh, Nebraska used the entire Midwest. Why? They were the only team in the Midwest that was on television. It was Nebraska and Oklahoma. That was it. So if you were anywhere good from anywhere around the Midwest, you went to where? You went to Nebraska. But now you can go to Iowa. Guess what? You could be pretty good in Iowa. You could go to Kansas State and be good. There's no reason for a kid to truck across the country to go to Nebraska now. And so Nebraska's not as good now. Could they win a national championship? Maybe. Could they have a year where they contend nationally? Sure. But will they be consistently great like they were for decades? No. There's not a ton of talent in Nebraska. You ever been in Nebraska? It's just corn and sadness. There's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, but, you know, uh, well, it's interesting. I'd, I'd like to hear AJ's comments, and then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in after that. So, 
Um, well, there is a lot of corn there. I don't know about the, sad, <laughs> I don't know about the sadness thing. But, but, yeah, you know, there's not a lot that I can disagree with there. I mean, I think that we can probably pop up like a, uh, a team like Clemson last year. They, you know, they show up every now and again and they compete. And I think that's the best we can hope for at this point is just to be able to, to uh, maybe – you know, get in contention every few years. I don't think that, that we've got the base to be able to, to compete like we used to be able to compete. And that's part of the reason why they're unwatchable for me a lot of the time because they don't have the depth. They don't have the top athletes that, that they used to have. And the biggest point that I think uh, the problem is is we don't have the coaching. And we haven't had any decent coaching since – I guess Osborne and Frank. I mean, and but Frank was uh, headed in the wrong direction with recruiting, and that affected it. So they had to get rid of him, and it, it just every every time since then, every team since then has just been um, not good. I mean, overall, average at best, and that's not what what we're used to. And I, I've grown up with five national championships. I expect them to be good every year, and they're not. And when they don't win nine or ten games, that's you know heartbreaking. I just and I don't know that they'll ever get back to that where they can win nine or ten games every year, even though they have a twelve-game schedule and a conference uh, championship game and a and a possible playoff games. They could play fourteen games a year easily, and I still think it's going to be difficult for them to win ten games a year, even with that extended schedule. Uh, so I somewhat agree with the guy, but other than the sadness part. <laughs> well, and I would bring up, though, you're talking about being an average team, um, but we were talking about in the Bo Pelini era, you know, around the time when we were firing Bo, uh, how uh, the only other coach who had won, consistently won at least nine games in like that seven-year period was Nick Saban at Alabama. So he was consistently winning us at least nine games, the problem was he could never win the big games, you know, and in some of those big games, we'd get annihilated, oh, we'd yeah. fall apart, you know, it was brutal losses. Um, and so I, I definitely understand the frustration there, but is a 9-3, and 9-4 consistent kind of team, is that average? I would call that slightly above average, personally. Uh, and I would share that view. And that's, that's the difference in perspective, though, that AJ talked about earlier, um, you know, we are uh, fans who grew up in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, we're used to, uh, you know, having a team that that on a down year lost, you know, two games or and then a bowl game, you know, that type of thing. And so they were a team that maybe played a, a prominent team in the in the non-conference schedule, say a UCLA or a USC or you know an Auburn or an Alabama, and they might lose that game, right? And then they win the rest of their games all the way to the end of the season, and then they have the big matchup with Oklahoma, and maybe we lose that one. And that's considered a disappointing year because there's not a Big Eight championship at the end of the road. And but we're still going to the Orange Bowl, or we're going to you know a fairly prominent um, bowl game, right? Now, nowadays, uh, we're, we find ourselves where we have a, a fairly long history now of, of going to kind of middle-of-the-rung bowl games. And, and I think that's maybe some of where the averaged statement comes from, right, is that that's not the kind of football that we grew up uh, expecting and experiencing. But, uh, yeah, uh, to, to address the Matt Jones comments, uh, I think he's absolutely accurate. I would be uh, I didn't get to hear the, the radio broadcast, so I didn't hear the – his responses on the other two, but I suspect they were somewhat fem, uh, similar. Although I'm I, the one I would probably disagree with among his three would be Tennessee. Tennessee I think yeah. I think Tennessee's a team that absolutely has everything that they need to be able to be a consistently uh, national power year in and year out. And I, the, the premise of everything that Matt Jones is really basing this on is. You know, just like in the old days, it's about getting athletes. It's it's about the Jimmys and Joes, as you know, uh, Barry Switzer used to say. And so, how do you get recruits? And it's absolutely true that in the state of Nebraska and the surrounding area, there just simply is not enough premier athletes uh, to fill a team and a roster uh, uh, to compete with the Alabamas and USC's and you know uh, now more recently Clemson's of the world, right? So, uh, how are we going to uh, accomplish that? I think the path for Nebraska to have consistent success, say, competing for and winning Big Ten championships as we go forward, would be to have a guy like our current coaching staff um, be able to establish kind of a new method and a new reach 
for how he defines the advantage and the appeal of Nebraska. And we've had some things happen, like the changes recently enacted by the NCAA for, for recruiting, uh, that might be one of the key steps to, to getting us there. Because what we need to do and what we already have is what do we have that's unique compared to most other schools in the, in, uh, in the United States and within the big five conferences, right? Um, what we have that not everybody has is we have a very unique game day experience. We have, we have a, an incredible uh, administrative staff uh, as an athletic department. And, and because of that long history of success, we have incredible uh, commitment to our student athletes, more so than most other universities, if not all other universities. If, if the athletic experience for a student athlete at Nebraska is just enormous, and our life skills, we're, we're ahead of the game in some of those things. We haven't marketed that very well. I think this current coaching staff is beginning to understand how to market that better. And if they can do that and continue to reach out to to locations like the Californias and the Texases of the world and make Nebraska or, uh, or create the, the image that Nebraska is a place that kids can come to and slow down and grow up and get highly supported in their process, both athletically and academically and in terms of life skills, then that's a place they could choose to be. You know, uh, and then they start having some success and all of a sudden you're, you're a hot commodity again, right? Uh, but... Uh, man, that's a fine line. So, <laughs> Right. Well, and this is a question, I guess, because you were bringing this up the other day, AJ, talking about recruiting to the parents, you know, selling them on the student-athlete, how Nebraska's so good about taking care of the student-athlete, making sure that they graduate with a good degree. You know, we're, we're very good at that, have so many uh, academic All-Americans, that sort of thing. Um, but with a lot of these kids that we're recruiting now, do you think they're recruiting as much to the parents? They're recruiting more to the kid uh, because, you know, those are all the mature, uh, smart things to say, but they're not sexy like what an Alabama or a Florida could, you know. Uh, well, I think it's a combination of both, definitely. Like I said, um, the parents have got to to be behind it, and when they come and they visit and they see the, the support that – their kid would get not only academically, but uh, uh, mentoring them uh, on how to be a good young man. And then by the time that they leave, most of them are very good young men and they go on to do many good things that have nothing to do with athletics. And I think that they see that once the parents see that, that's what they want for their kid. And then if they can, some of the, the recruiters that we have on the team now are outstanding, and so they know how to get the kid in interested and to keep him focused on those, like you said, sexy things to say and the, where they're going to uh, be drawn to this coach because, you know, he talks about being in the NFL or where whatever, you know. They, he, they've been doing a real good job of that. But to bring something up that Pete mentioned just a minute ago, all those things can uh, that, that he talked about, that um, can uh, that is good for the team, but it, it, the biggest thing that will help the team get even better athletes in the future is wins. Right. We can have all the recruits in the world, but if we can't win, it doesn't matter because they're not going to come. They're going to see us as a losing program or a mediocre program. Right. And the big guys, the guys, the really good three-star and four-star athletes that we normally go after – they're going to go to some place that they might be able to win a championship. And that's the biggest problem I see for us uh, now and into the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, which is why if we could, like you say, if uh, Riley could kind of turn a corner, kind of figure out a system to consistently, you know, be in that Big Ten championship game and right. win it, you know, every once or twice, yeah. you know, every now and then, yeah, um, then – kids will get all those things that we were just talking about, all the pluses to the program in terms of academics and taking care of the kids as well as the on-field, like, okay, we are a consistent contender in the Big Ten. So, so that's the key then. I mean, I think we're in somewhat agreement, but, but here's the thing. Uh, one of the biggest challenges beyond what the coaches already confront just in terms of recruiting against other top-flight schools is that um, – we as a, a, a fan base are a, com a combination of uh, older fans like AJ and, and, and myself and younger fans who are um, uh, grown up in an era where we weren't 
uh, great. They, they maybe, like you, have heard the stories, grew up with uh, the history that I uh, provided you, right, so that gave you some perspective. But generally speaking, so you're anxious to see championships. The guys from the, uh, from, that are older like us um, had, uh, grew up with that and have that as an expectation. So there's a callousness. There's a frustration. So uh, we run the risk as a fan base of literally eating our young. As soon as we start to experience a little bit of success, if we still fall short, we have to be patient. We have to change our perspective of, of what is the definition of a, a successful season. We have been away from the championships for so long. What we need more than anything is to win the Big Ten West. We need to find a way where we are consistently beating Wisconsin, beating Iowa, and uh, the other teams, maybe Minnesota, uh, Northwestern, that have emerged and, and been factors in the Big Ten West. Because, frankly, if, if you look at the landscape, we should be able to do that. That's an achievable goal for Nebraska. We need to get to there. If we can get to there, now we're playing in the big game for the Big Ten Championship and a prominent bowl game, and every now and then you're going to win some of those. And that kind of takes you to that next step. Then we'll start talking about any kind of national stuff. But right now, we need to win the Big Ten West badly. And so I, that's what I, and I want to shift maybe the conversation to this year's team. That's the question. And um, it, uh, it's interesting that uh, just recently the uh, over-unders have come out in Vegas and the various books, and uh, over-unders are coming out at 6 or 6.5 for Nebraska. Now, I will tell you that the Nebraska fan base, knowing uh, and being excited about what they saw in the spring game and, and heard uh, through spring practice reports and that sort of stuff, that we're a team that has a lot of young talent, a lot of new talent that we haven't seen in a while. We have a quarterback that probably better fits what Mike Riley's trying to accomplish with his offensive system uh, that we, than we've ever had. And frankly, uh, one of the biggest frustrations that I know AJ and I have both shared is we've had eight years of a quarterback who teased us with incredible talent but was limited in that they were not a complete quarterback. And so this is a year that uh, I think presents some tremendous optimism for Nebraska fans. And yet those who have the ob objectivity of not being fans of Nebraska are looking at that same team and saying, that's a six-win team. And that's something for me to grapple with, to say, what, what do I think of that, you know? Uh, so I would be curious to hear both AJ's and your thoughts on six wins as the over-under. Hey, what do you think, AJ? I, I think they're probably right, right there. And that's a real concern for me. I, I, I think it is for most Husker Nation. I read a lot, and there's an awful lot of Nebraska fans that think that we're going to win 10 games this year. Exactly. There's just no way. There's, I mean, if they do that, they'll be overachieving hugely, which can happen in college football. We see it every year. Teams will get on fire and they'll go. But when you look at the overall depth of our team, an injury here, an injury right. there, and we are easily a 6-6 six and six team. Right. And it could be worse than that. It could easily be worse than that with a couple of key injuries. Uh, to go back on what Pete briefly spoke about, didn't you, about Antonio Reed and, yeah. and yeah. Stanley Morgan? Uh, you know, Antonio Reed, that's not a big loss for us, but Stanley Morgan is our number one wide receiver, and we're thin, thin, thin at wide receiver depth, and that's going to kill us. And he was supposed to be one of the leaders, which is a big thing in my mind, because now all the other guys on the team are thinking, well, this guy's a knucklehead. I don't want to be following him. The coaches are thinking we can't have him as a leader because – you know, he's a knucklehead. He went and did this decision. stupid thing, you know, and it's like you can't have somebody like that. And who, who knows how many games are going to be. So we're going to be even thinner at wide receiver. And if the quarterback uh, uh, doesn't have anybody to throw to, then, you know, and Stanley's a heck of a the receiver. He really is. I, I think he's got pro potential because he's got good hands and he seems to get open quite a bit. Yeah. But if we lose him, that could be a real – Real difficult thing for the Huskers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, I my certainly my gut reaction to hearing six wins is to say, no, I think we're better than that. Um, honestly, I feel like a lot depends on like our momentum because uh, last year, obviously, we got off to a strong start with beating Oregon and then getting to these uh, seven wins, you know, and then I think we went up against Wisconsin. And we went in overtime. Right. Went played over, them very well. Played them, play, yeah, played our hearts out there and, of course, lost because we could never seem to get over that Wisconsin bump and then got 
decimated by Ohio State, and then our season kind of spiraled a little bit after that. Um, and so we're sort of in a similar situation this year where I feel like winning that Oregon game, if we can manage that in game two, that'll be good because we don't play anybody as good as them for a little while yet until we get to Wisconsin and then Ohio State once again back-to-back, um, both at home, I believe. That is correct. Um, so it helps us a little bit. But So, I mean, I certainly feel like we could have a two-loss season by the end of the year. I think we're capable of that. I mean, we beat Oregon last year. Um, and well, I know that we can beat Iowa, you know, Northwestern and all those guys. I mean, it's like you say, we sh- looking on paper, we should be winning the Big West consistently. You know, we know that we have more talent, we have more prestige than those other schools in terms of history and everything. Um, but we just find a way to trip ourselves up on them. Well, uh, he hit on it. Depth. Uh, if mm-hmm. you go back and look over these last years, uh, our problem has been there's always been one or two Achilles heels. Almost consistently, we've always had an issue at quarterback. And when you play the kind of offense that we've played in the Bo Pelini era and then uh, during the early years of the of the Mike Riley era, you need to have depth at the quarterback position. But then we also had problems where we were literally playing three uh, walk-on offensive linemen in a makeshift way to try to make a, put a, an offensive line in front of our team. And, and when you when you play a game like that, you're you're likely to lose, and lo and lo and behold, that happened. And we also had some other issues as a, as a program during that period. You know, one something that kind of hung on, and we're we're still struggling a little bit with, but it seems we're trending in the right direction. Is turnovers. You know, in the Bo Pelini era, we were just decimated by games where we just could not get it out of our own way. We were clearly the better team, but we would lose the game because you don't lose games that you have four or five turnovers. You just don't. And so uh, from a discipline and fundamental standpoint, we were, we were lacking. And so, um, but now it's always been this issue of depth. So as I look at this team, I think it's capable of winning that 10 games a year, uh, particularly if we were able to get off to a good start with, with a, a win at Oregon, which by no means is easy. I mean, we, we barely beat Oregon last year in a game that was a back-and-forth contest. Uh, now they have a, a new coach and new inspiration and enthusiasm. They have all the talent they did last year. They were, they were a young team last year, and uh, we're playing them at Outson Stadium out there, which is one of the more difficult environments to play in, and one we're unfamiliar with. So that will be a tremendously challenging game for the, the Huskers, and I hope we're ready, uh, particularly our offensive line, to, to hold up its, uh, its end of the bargain. And then obviously defensively with Oregon's history with offense, uh, they're going to have just speed, speed, speed all over the field. But if we can find that way and we can get to to uh, pass that game, then you're absolutely right. I think then that builds momentum. And we've got to be prepared for overcoming the potential of a two-loss Wisconsin and uh, Ohio State sequence. Um, but uh, in my opinion, uh, since it's at home, we at least have a chance against Wisconsin um, and, and Ohio State. You know what? Any given night, I can remember... A, a night too, not too far in the past when we uh, beat an Ohio State team that was certainly not expecting to come into Lincoln and lose. So um, great things can happen in uh, Memorial Stadium. <laughs> That's right. Place of dreams, right? That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, well, and, uh, it's true that even if we lose that Oregon game, that doesn't affect our conference schedule. So we could still make it into the, the championship game, right. the conference championship game with the loss to Oregon. Right. Um I think that those that back-to-back weeks of Wisconsin and Ohio State is going to be real important for yep. determining the course of our season. Look, it's going to challenge our depth, and it's going to challenge our mental toughness, two things we haven't had much of in recent years. Right. So. Well, I could go on for an hour on that. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, could well. go on. The, the, you hit it right there, though, depth and the toughness of the team, and I'm not sure that they've had a tough team in a long, long time right. or a tough uh, fan base. Right. I think that expectations have been lowered so much over the years, and that's where we were talking earlier about the difference of the way that Alex looks at the team and the way I look at her are completely different. And it's like I think there's an awful lot of, of Husker fans that are okay with the way things are going, and it's like for me, it's not. It's uh, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the program as far as I'm concerned and and especially with the, the coaching staff. And that's where I think that it, it, it's really going to show itself this year. 
um, I don't know if you guys want to, uh, how we want to go into this further, but uh, as the team this year, if you want to go into that just as the, just the how the team is going to happen or go this year, I'm really thinking that this is going to show the coaching because we've had the last two years, we've had, uh, you know, the, the guy to blame was the defensive line coach. He was a, a knucklehead that didn't get performance out of the, the, uh, the good defensive lineman that we had two years ago. And so he was fired. Then this last year, they finally got rid of Banker, which is a, another whole conversation and another podcast. A guy that should have never been brought to Nebraska uh, got rid of him. So now we've got a new defensive coordinator. Who knows how that's going to go? He's an energetic guy, and that's a, normally a really, really good thing in college football. So I'm really hopeful on that side of the ball. If, if he can translate his what he's got in his head to the kids and keep them enthused, we could have a really good defense because there are some really quick guys in the defensive backfield, and I think that the defensive line is a, a, a very uh, stout bunch, and they're just young. I mean, except for uh, the guy in the middle. What's his name? Pete, um, 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 the, the nose tackle. Doggone it, he's a Nebraska kid. I should know him. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, he's, he's a senior. Stoltenberg. Yeah, he's, he's a senior, but everybody else is a sophomore or younger, and so they've got, and they're really, those Davis boys from Missouri, they are really going to be fantastic for us, but they're still young. Uh, the only guy that I see on the defensive side of the ball that could be a real problem for us is Lamar Jackson. You go back and watch his games last year that he played in, he got toasted a bunch, didn't know where he was supposed to be, couldn't cover, and definitely couldn't tackle, was easily blocked. You go watch the the spring game, and it is amazing. Third and fourth string and walk-on wide receivers on the, the white team are out there blocking him every time. Well, uh, you know that's not an athletic thing. You no. know that's an effort thing. Absolutely. And so uh, that's exactly where I'm coming from on that, is that he is just not given the kind of effort that it takes to play. Oh. He's like, uh, he reminds me of Deion Sanders. All the athletic ability in the world but ne almost never made a tackle because he just didn't want to. Well, I don't know if it's that. See, I, I, I guess, see, I, that's where I'm a little more patient uh, on, on circumstances like that and a, and a player like Lamar. I, I think he's a talent that probably came in uh, and, like most freshmen, was a little uh, surprised by the difference in the, the sophistication and the, just the physicality of the game, and he's had to adjust to that. And in, in addition, I think he was never comfortable. He never got confident. And that might be an effort thing in, in terms of him becoming knowledgeable and knowing the defense because you can't react smoothly and athletically if you don't know what the heck you're doing. You're spending way too much time in your own head and not able to do the right thing. But isn't isn't cornerback the easiest position to play in football? Well, I would it's say, mostly athletic ability. I would say that used to be more the, the case than it is now. Uh, I would argue that that now the place that you can come in and, and have the fastest impact on a football team is running back because running back still basically the way it used to be. You know, you run here, you go through this hole. This is where you're expected to be. Here's where you're you're supposed to be if you're going to block and that sort of stuff. I think quarterback used to be that way, but now with uh, with all the combination defenses that, that go on and with this, uh, uh, the, the, the whole game changed when the, when the rules were loosened up to allow for the run-pass option, the, the RPO, uh, changes everything because it used to be that you could you could interpret and understand as a defensive back that this is a pass play or this is a run play much more easily than you can today. Today, because of the lax rules on uh, movement of offensive linemen and things of that nature, it's really hard to know whether somebody's executing a running play or, or a pass play until it's long into the play. And so as a defensive back, I think that makes your job a lot harder. And, and so there's more mental capacity that needs to be matured in a in a defensive back than it used to be so that would be my my reaction to your specific Lamar Jackson thing. but I I actually agree with you that I believe his his progress is going to be critical to the difference between us being a defense that has a weakness that can be exploited by a team like Oregon oh, they yeah. figure that out they're going to just rip him a new one right so so the mm -hmm. key thing is that he needs to become sound enough not great but just sound enough, and then let his athleticism to occasionally do something great for us. 
you know, uh, I'd love it if he became Deion Sanders. <laughs> I'd <Yeah>. be thrilled. <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, I'd be happy with him just being sound and then using his own athleticism to do what to he make can. a great play now yeah. and again. Yeah, uh, but go back and watch that that yeah. uh, spring uh, game. that spring game, and I'm telling you, he was easily blocked every time they ran mm-hmm. his direction. Yep. I'm a, a an offensive coordinator from another team. I'm not only throwing at him, I'm running at him right. on a regular basis because he, uh, to me, he doesn't he doesn't look like he can handle the job, and that's I was really quite surprised when he was moved into that position and they moved Kalu back to safety. Uh, Kalu's going to be great back at safety. I mean, he's been a great player for us all along. He's a guy that got it right away, and right. and uh, yep. Aaron Williams same way, smart. Good football players, good football instincts. I'm not sure Lamar Jackson, he's got great athletic ability, but I'm not sure he's got anything else. Well, I don't know if he's got it between the ears to be able to do the things that you're talking I, about. I think the coaches see it, and it's just not being consistently done yet. And so that's that light bulb and that effort level has to come on mm-hmm. for him. But So I, I agree with you that he's critical. But I'm optimistic he's going to make that transition. What do you, I like the defensive backs coach, and I think he's going to bring that guy along. What do you guys think of the overall defense? Were you in agreement? Do you think they're going to be pretty good? Or? Well, I mean, it's it's so hard to say because in the spring game we were running right. this vanilla defense, and right. they're adjusting to this new 3-4 three, three, system, which is definitely going to be a change for us. Um, so it's hard to say for sure until we see it on the field. I definitely think we have the talent. Um, honestly, the area I'm most concerned with, and I've talked about this last time, was the offensive line. Because last year that was a big problem that Armstrong, you know, was on the run so many times, you know, and his legs managed to pull out some first downs for us, you know, even when the when the line broke down. But uh, especially if we're going to be focused more on passing this year, I feel like given the quarter Tanner Lee, that pass protection is going to be really important if. We have some injuries there, like you say, and we're bringing in these second, third team guys. It'll be real trouble there. Right. Well, and so that's the thing. I, I think offensively, um, I think you're going to see uh, our, our offense struggle at times against uh, the top flight defenses in the, in, the, in the conference, which is what concerns me against, say, a Wisconsin or an Ohio State, where they're going to come with a great defense. You know that. Uh, and we're going to have to find a way to move the football. And that includes running the football as well as, you know, the passing. I, I think you're going to see a more efficient passing offense for sure because some of that running that uh, 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 that Armstrong did in the past was of his own doing. It wasn't always the offensive line that was really the right. deal. It was that he didn't have a comfort level to step up in proper uh, occasions and things of that nature. And so I think uh, the improvement we're going to see out of the quarterback position uh, in, in some of those areas will help negate the loss of athleticism that uh, that um, uh, Armstrong provided us, you know. So I'm, I'm confident in that. Um, I'm not as confident, and I think the key for us offensively is the offensive line. Can we run the football with the – we've got good, but I don't think uh, – we don't have a star at running back. We have some – we have a stable of very good running backs. Um, and some of them are pretty good hands, too. So um, well, we've got the ability to throw to them. And our tight ends are going to be way more valuable in this offensive system than they were in the past years. So with all of that, I think we have the chance to be good offensively. And I think we might look really good against lesser defenses. When you see some of these teams we play that don't quite have as good a defense, we're going to look really good against them. <clears throat> but then we play at Wisconsin, and it might look a little different. So that's the key. Yeah, well, there was some in the spring game, there were some uh, younger running backs that definitely mm-hmm. were catching my attention now. You know, it's against the white team defense, so, you know, oh, you nice. have to put that that caveat into it. Um, but I, I really hope personally that Ozigbo, because he's going to be like the, the leader on that side of the ball, um, that he can kind of step up, you know, and as long as he doesn't get injured and is able to keep up his strength and everything, I mean, we know he's capable of, you know, being that sort of back-to-back runner for us. Right. Well, that's interesting you mentioned that because Azigbo's a guy that I obviously was enamored with earlier in his career, but then he he struggled last year. He had a sophomore challenge, if you will, because he got hurt and, and never was really able to get back to both mentally and physically. Even after he physically got better, I think mentally he was never able to kind of reconnect to the season the way uh, that we needed him to. And he got a little heavy, uh, and um, so that, that little bit of miss in his step, um, uh, affected him, and I I would say that I'm not sure how much Zigbo is going to play. I think that uh, uh, Trey Bryant has uh, has shown the coaches that 
He's a more complete back. He's got a little bit more speed to him, and he runs hard. Uh, and he hasn't necessarily been a fumbler. So all of those are pretty good things. Uh, and then we got a kid behind him uh, who's pretty darn talented, um, but has not ever been able to put the whole package together, the blocking and everything. So that's kept him off the field. He seems to have come a long ways in this uh, offseason and, and looked really good during spring from all reports. So I have a feeling that Zigbo is going to have a, a little Who is bit, that that you're talking about? Uh, I'm talking about Wilbon. Wilbon. Uh, Mikhail okay. Wilbon, yep. Yep, and and then the other guys that um, Alex was talking about is during the spring game, some of those younger yeah. walk-on kids yeah. from Omaha and, and outstate Nebraska, who frankly showed great wiggle, great vision, good hands, and you got to think that there's a way we can find a way for them to have a role, even if it's just a package, you know, of a couple of plays that we run with them. I liked a lot of what I saw from the spring game from all of the backs. Yeah, I mean, they we really with the with Rose and. And yeah. um, uh, Mazur, yeah. they yeah. both looked really good. And those are the guys you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that did look really good, for sure, for sure. Um, I am curious about, because AJ, uh, when we were talking before, you had brought up that um, you you are the type of guy who doesn't watch a game unless you think we're playing good. So what did you say, that you watched five games all the way through last year? I, I would... I would say, yeah, that's probably about about five. Yeah, that's probably what I watched. And there was probably three that I'd never saw a play of because I I always that's tape the show. I always tape it. And I, sometimes I'll, especially if it's against an opponent that I think we're probably going to lose to, I'll check the score before I start watching it <laughs> after the game is over. And it, like, I never saw a play of the the Ohio State game, because I'm not going to put myself through that kind of misery. <laughs> Holy cow, that's just unacceptable. And, and that's and I was in that crowd. Were you really? Holy uh, cow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that had to be torture. You know, I just brutal. can't watch that kind of stuff when they make the same mistakes, the, the uh, uh, you know, a bunch of senior kids that are making the same mistakes that the freshmen and sophomores are making, and then the effort level. And it gets to me. It, it it's a lot to do with the coaching, and and that's why I'm, I'm I'm somewhat excited about the new defensive coordinator. I think his enthusiasm. I think you really need that in college football. Uh, well, and as, I think especially on Riley's staff. You know, since Riley's kind of an older guy, you know, he's got a lot of guys on his staff with experience. You know, which is great. Right. Um, but I think you need a little bit of that young blood, that fire. You know, yeah. that that if it connects yeah. with the kids. That's that's the thing I was. I was talking about earlier was with we had guys in there before that were not good coaches but coming into this year now what now if they do not play well and this is my biggest concern for this year if they do not play well and they end up six and seven on the year what happens mm-hmm. and I'm worried that because yeah. uh, for you know like 75 percent of Mike Riley uh, what his job is and what he's been doing has been outstanding. He's exactly the type of human being we want in that position as a human being. He's got good support. I mean, he, they've added, what, 10 new positions in the, in the athletic department and the coaching and recruiting and all that. They've got all kinds of support now that they've never had before. They're almost like a professional team now with all the support that they have there. So if they don't play this year, don't play well this year, who gets blamed? Does he keep his job? All these things that they've done in recruiting to step things up and make things better, it all goes out the window if he gets fired. Right. Mm-hmm. And if he goes six and seven, I'll be at the front of the line saying, we need a new coach. I can tell you that. And to be honest with you, I wasn't crazy about his hire from the beginning. And when he brought in some of the guys that he brought in with him that were proven not to be good, that just didn't make any sense to a lot of Husker fans. And in fact... He, he himself has been a mediocre coach. He's done well with, with what he had, but still, he never really has done anything except turn out good human beings, which is what we want, but we also we want, want to win. All. We also <laughs> want to win. Right. So uh, my, my whole thing is I think we're going to lose. If he does not perform and does not get to at least seven wins this year, he <laughs> might be in jeopardy of losing his job. And then if they even at seven and six – uh, who do they blame that on? Do we get rid of the offensive line coach that a lot of people have been screaming about? Because he hasn't been doing the job. But in the past at Oregon State, 
he had a few years there where he sent some guys to the pros and, and they really performed for him that were lesser recruits than what we've got on staff, you know, on the team, I mean. And it's like, you know, it's there's a lot of things that can go in. And I believe you me, I would love to see them go 10 and 2. That would be outstanding. But I think the reality part of the thing, you've got to look at it and say, holy cow, that would really be, uh, a lot of things would have to go our way. And it could happen. Right. But I'm just afraid that it's not. And then where are we going to find ourselves, you know, nine months from now? Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's true. Actually, I want to bring that up. We're less than 100 days away now from the start of the season. I saw that online. But it is interesting because I... My gut reaction is to say that e- even if Riley has a losing season, we would uh, we would want to keep him around for at least just just one more year, maybe like the fourth year is his real do or die year because like he was the first choice of the uh, the athletic director, right. you know, and it seems like he's the guy that he wanted, you know, and we know that like Alabama wanted him to be their coach before Nick Saban back in the day, so you know we know he's this coach with all this experience and stuff. But my problem of saying that is that next year's schedule is even worse We're, than this year. Yeah, it's tougher. Yeah, this year's schedule. Tougher. So if we struggle this year, then I, unless he really turns around, I don't see how we don't do as bad or worse the next year, you know? Well, uh, okay, so two things. We, uh, I, I want to wrap up uh, by asking the question, okay, we're, we're on Memorial Day 2017, and so we're going to get a Memorial Day prediction from all three of us. Uh, don't get held to it. We probably should revisit it and give ourselves a chance to go up or down on our uh, on our prediction. Uh, you know, obviously just prior to the season. But given where what we know today, uh, what what's that going to be? But I, I would argue that I think that because of the things that Mike Riley has done right, even if he had that difficult season, that six and seven or seven and six type season, I believe that the athletic administration at Nebraska is prepared to stay with him to stay with the long haul. I would suspect that he, given his recent history, would make some additional changes on his staff. Um, I also think that if we had that kind of a season, some of our talented coaches that have done a great job of recruiting for us might begin to look elsewhere. But I, I'm optimistic. I believe we're going to do quite a bit better than six uh, and six or six and seven um, because of the things that the changes he's been willing to make because of the, the the quality of the coaches and the players that we now have in the system. We're not, uh, are we national championship caliber team? Not even close. Are we Big Ten West caliber? I think we have a, a good chance to be Big Ten West caliber. And I think how we look and fare compared to Wisconsin uh, in that midseason game, it, to me, is is paramount. Even if we lose to Oregon, uh, I think that, that, mm-hmm. that Wisconsin game is going to tell me an awful lot about where we're headed. Ohio State, they're probably still going to uh, beat us. I mean, that's that's something that an objective Husker fan is going to say. If we win that game, that's a massive upset. That's a that's a uh, you know changes the path of the whole deal, right? If we were to win that one, but Wisconsin, that's a game. Not only do I think we can win, I think it's a must win for him. So, mm-hmm. what's your prediction? In ter- you're talking about like a record. 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 I was just thinking about that. I'm going to say nine and three. But with one one of those losses being to Oregon, so we only have two losses in conference. Um, so we could, if depending on how Wisconsin does, we could still go to the Big Ten, big, big Ten Championship. I would say we beat Wisconsin, we lose to Ohio State, we lose to Oregon, and then get tripped up by one other team somewhere along the way because we tend to do that. But if we had that and and made it, still made it to the Big Ten Championship, I'd be I mean, would be. You know, overjoyed about it, but I'd be satisfied with so, that. So you're predicting nine and three with uh, uh, right in the hunt to the last game of a Big Ten West Championship. Yes. Okay. Wow, that's pretty optimistic, I know. guys. I'm liking that. <laughs> that's, I'm liking see, that's that. what I'm, I get that a lot every day when I'm reading that. It's like there's a lot of Husker fans that are looking at it that way. I, I, I unfortunately am a glass half empty guy. I'm thinking they go five and seven, and he gets fired, and wow, and we start over. Well, you know what? You're going to be easily pleased this year, then. Then good. good. <laughs> I'd like to be able to watch more games. Yeah. You know, he talked earlier. I I don't watch a lot. Right. I like to watch the Huskers. I love to watch them play. But if they're getting trounced by uh, whoever, it just is no good. We haven't been able to physically meet uh, meet the challenge of the Wisconsin's and the Iowas. Correct. And that's when we went into the conference. I would have never thought that could happen. Right. Well, I. 
That's interesting because we brought up the Iowa rivalry before and how we've lost them all these times. But I feel like a lot of it is, like you say, like we have these injuries. We kind of lose our motivation a little bit if we have some crushing losses. And we're always playing them at the last game of the year. If we were playing Iowa like right near the beginning or the middle of the season, I bet you we beat them more often than we lose them. In recent years, that's probably true. And it it has to do with the fact that Nebraska's been a team that did not have depth at some critical positions, most specifically – Quarterback. quarterback. We yeah. have played Iowa with either a ridiculously injured or a uh, second-string second quarterback who was not uh, of the, of the uh, experience and caliber that was needed to win, uh, you know, a, a game against a talented team. And Iowa just does all the simple things very, very well. They they are not flashy. They but they have a coach who knows how to coach and gets the most out of his players. And uh, and so that's a team that. It's very a little Osborne esque, but at a lesser level. You know, uh, he's a guy that just found a way to always build his team over the course of a season. Now, um, I'm okay. So here's my take on it. I, I'm, I'm much more leaning towards Alex's optimism. Although nine and three to me is a little steep, just because I, I do expect it's going to be a very difficult environment for us to go out in the second game of the year and beat Oregon. I, I think. We'll play well. I without think Stanley Morgan. And, and probably without mm-hmm. Stanley Morgan. Yeah. So I'm going to say that's probably a loss. I'm hopeful that we will show some mental toughness, respond from that, and I'm predicting that we beat Wisconsin in Lincoln. Okay? And then we lose to Ohio State, and, uh, and then there's that other game, right? So uh, we, get to, we get to 9-3, and three, uh, but if that other game is Iowa – or say a Minnesota or, or, or somebody else in the Big Ten West that has uh, an easier schedule that avoids some of the, the big guys from the east side of the of the bracket. Uh, we still fall short, don't get to the Big Ten championship game, end up second, if you will, in the Big Ten West, go to a moderate bowl game, probably with a W, uh, that gives us enough success that it keeps our recruiting class together, keeps that positive momentum going, and then the following year, next year, is a year in which we not only win the Big Ten West, but we start on uh, that's, that's my that, prediction. That sounds good to me. I'll take that. Give me the Kool-Aid, Pete. <laughs> All right, glug, glug, glug. <laughs> Drink it so up. there we go. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of College Football Thrown on a special Schmitz Family uh, Reunion Podcast. Uh, thank you, Uncle AJ, for joining us. You bet. It was, was fun, Alex. Yeah, this is a good time. Uh, if you fans out there enjoyed listening to us, you can email us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can find us on Podomatic. We're footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. You can find us on iTunes if you search College Football Throwdown. You can leave us reviews and ratings on there or leave us a comment on the Podomatic page. Okay. You said that so darn fast. Okay. <laughs> the easy way to do this is to go on iTunes and simply, if you're listening to this podcast, you can find us on iTunes and go make a comment. We love to give us a rating, uh, uh, put any kind of comment. Let us know what you think. If you think we're full of you-know-what, tell us that. We'd love to hear it. So, uh, again, slow down. Let's get that uh, uh, site one more time for me. All right. That would be footballthrowdown.podomatic.com. Where you want to go? Football throwdown. That's right. Really simple. Oh, yeah. College football throwdown. All right. And until next time, Husker Nation, go big red. Go big red. Throw the bones. <laughs> <laughs>